Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. I'm your host, Leah Witchick. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Nina Ahuja. After completing her medical degree at McMaster University, followed by residency training in ophthalmology at University of Ottawa, Dr. Ahuja began her surgical practice in Hamilton in 2003. With an interest in teaching, Dr. Ahuja was a key contributor in establishing and developing the ophthalmology residency program at McMaster University, a program that began in 2005. She has earned numerous awards for excellence in teaching cataract surgery and for contributions to medical education, including Surgical Teacher of the Year, Resident Appreciation Award, and the Mahatma Gandhi Privacy Award for Contributions to Medical Education. Dr. Huja was promoted to Associate Clinical Professor in 2010 and was Ophthalmology Residency Program Director at McMaster University from 2011 to 2015. She was promoted to Academic Division Head in 2018 and has been an examiner for the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons for Canada for Ophthalmology since 2013. A certified health executive with the Canadian College of Health Leaders, Dr. Ahuja has held numerous executive leadership roles at St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton, including Medical Staff Association President, Member of the Medical Advisory Committee, and Member of Joint Board of Governors. She's highly committed to ongoing personal and professional development and is an EQI 2.0 certified practitioner. Drawing from her experiences as a frontline healthcare provider, private practice owner, and physician leader in both academic and healthcare institutions, Dr. Ahuja founded Docs in Leadership to promote and deliver physician-developed leadership curriculum for all health professionals with best practices relevant to the health system context. Hi, Nina. How are you today? I'm doing well, Leah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being here uh, at Central Line Leadership and Healthcare. I really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your thoughts and your experience. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Well, maybe we can get started by just uh, you talking a little bit about what you do these days. So I'm uh, an ophthalmologist, an eye surgeon in practice in Hamilton, Ontario. I've been here since 2003, which is when I started after graduating from residency at University of Ottawa. Uh, through that time, I've been teaching uh, with the university as well as having a private practice. And that's been keeping me quite busy, actually, just in general and uh, nowadays, particularly, it's been quite interesting with COVID-19 and the quarantine where uh, with elective procedures and assessments being on hold, I've been shifting my attention to doing some other projects relating to leadership and um, education, which are two main interests of mine. What was your inspiration for being a physician? Was that something you always wanted to do? 
Yeah, it was something I always had an interest in. I've, I've always been inclined towards helping other people. I, I initially didn't know what that would look like. Uh, when I was a child, it was, we have this story that in our family where my dad used to buy me boxes of bandages and hmm. I'd be putting them on dolls all the time and he'd have to basically say, we can't buy you any more bandages. <laughs> so it was always something that I enjoyed doing. And um, I just always had an interest in wanting to work with people. As I went through uh, high school and my undergraduate degree, I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. Initially, I, in fact, had an interest um, in eyes, even as a, a high school student and was considering optometry. But then when I did my undergrad at University of Waterloo, I realized I wanted a little bit more hands-on mm -hmm. and I had uh, an interest in medicine that seemed to be um, more along the lines of what I was wanting to do. So I shifted to that area of focus at that point. So what do you find so fascinating about eyes? I think they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's always something that's been the first feature I've noticed in people since I was I was a child. And when I when I was in um, university and medical school and was doing various electives, I still remember the first time I saw an eye under the microscope and just the intricacy of of the iris, which is the colored part of the eye. It's just really quite beautiful. So I was really drawn to that. Uh, field and then just the surgery itself is is so fine and you can really make an impact in someone's life uh, in a way that really does make a difference in in the quality of how they experience the world so oh. that was all of those things were very much a draw yeah absolutely and and so maybe related but in your work what keeps you going for me it's twofold one is Primarily, of course, it's patient care and being able to have an impact on someone's life in a way that really does, you know, impact their experience. Um, I've had patients who've, you know, told me that they suddenly are able to see their family photo after years. And to me, that oh, wow. having being able to have that impact is something that's very meaningful. The other thing that I really appreciate is just the scope of things that you can do in the profession. So there's patient care, there's work um, in administration, there's work in education. Uh, you can really take this profession uh, down whatever path that you really are interested in. And I love the potential of that within the field. I definitely recognize the the impact that you are able to experience in the work that you do, but also the variety and the different paths that you can go down. And so maybe that leads me into the question around why the focus on leadership education in addition to your clinical practice? My involvement uh, over the years has been as a physician providing care, uh, as an educator uh, in our residency program at the university and also in administration through different leadership roles. So in having had various leadership roles on the academic side and clinical side, I recognized that there were different capacities uh, of leadership within physician leaders. And I felt very strongly that there were some who were fascinating and some who were exceptional in their ability to lead and in the strategies that they used and others that really were not effective and were not able to reach the goals or accomplish the outcomes that they were really wanting to do. 
So in all of that, I recognize that there's really a gap in leadership education in a medical education. And so having seen a few instances firsthand where there was a significant impact on members of a team where it was very impactful to them personally in negative ways because of leadership skills that weren't as developed as they should be. I felt that it was really important to bring that into our world of medicine in a more formalized way so that as we progress through into various roles as physicians, we can bring those skills to the table so that we can actually bring about some transformative change in a way that speaks to those people around the table who are making decisions or who are engaged in the process. Unfortunately, that formalized curriculum has not been in medical education traditionally. There is now a shift in focus, however, recognizing that this is very valuable and really something that needs to be looked at. Uh, And that's where, because of my passion for this, I I developed an organization um, called Docs and Leadership, which is really about promoting and providing an avenue for leadership education for uh, primarily physicians and medical students and residents, so people who are engaged uh, with that sort of education, but it's certainly open to all health professionals because we really work in teams and need to be collaborative with one another. So I feel that this sort of programming is, is important. So we develop the skills, but also others can engage with us, collaborate with us, and we can understand one another's perspectives in a more formalized form. And I know you and I have a lot of uh, similar experiences in terms of the work we do. And uh, previously, we chatted a little bit about one of the gaps being around moving excellent clinical leaders into a leadership position without necessarily giving them the tools, the skills, or the knowledge that they need to be in a leadership role and to be effective in that role. So what do you see as the most crucial elements to that leadership education? From my perspective, there are two arms uh, to leadership development that is critical, that are critical to um, physician leadership development or leadership development in healthcare in general, really. Number one is the health system literacy piece uh, in terms of understanding the organizational structure within a hospital. Uh, broader to that, how is the health system organized? What is you know What are the constitutional divisions of labor? So that you have a general uh, or distribution of care. So you have a general overview and sense of the full context within which you're working, right from organizational structure to finance to how the professions are regulated and so on. The other arm I feel is extremely important is the idea of emotionally intelligent leadership, where the communication skills and the self-awareness piece is developed further so that when you're engaging with other people in your teams uh, or at a system level, organizational level, whatever, that you're communicating in a way that really does facilitate collaboration and moving forward with a clear vision and direction that everyone is on board with and enthusiastic about. So I would say that those two, two, you know, general themes would be of primary focus or importance. Well, and I'm curious to know then 
what has maybe been an example of maybe either exceptional leadership that you have encountered, or maybe, shall we say, less than exceptional leadership? In terms of exceptional leadership, uh, at our hospital, we had a transition of electronic medical records, which was hospital-wide. It was quite complex. Um, the leadership there, I would say, was very, very well driven and directed for reasons of organization and communication. Uh, the hospital had structured a team, a physician lead team, where we were central to communicating with our respective areas and drawing together a transformation that was parallel to one another in, in our respective areas as leaders within the group. Um, that overall transition within our department went very, very smoothly. And I know as an organization, considering it was an organizational shift uh, overall, was very smooth considering the scale of it and uh, the scope of it. So the, the communication was good. The engagement was good. Uh, you know, the access to support was excellent. And just the overall sense of wanting to uh, encourage all teams to succeed was really tangible right from senior leadership. So that the culture from the top was very much one that was cohesive and forward thinking and one that was to push everyone forward together. And you could feel that, which was really quite wonderful. In terms of ineffective, um, there have been instances, uh, a couple of instances that I've um, had to manage and work around where one of the leaders was not effective in the communication skills. And that in turn led to significant morale issues and actually um, anxiety issues for some of the people involved in the situation. And in that case, it was really a sense of the person not having the self-awareness of how things were being delivered and also other people surrounding the situation not really knowing the tools of how to be able to support this person in a way that was performance-based and measured so that they could measure the effect and then deal with the situation accordingly. There were a few steps that were missing there and unfortunately it did result in a breakdown of a team, um, which otherwise had been working beautifully until until this entire uh, situation arised and you know leadership shifted and things like that. So, I've seen both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, as have I. Um, and I think that example really illustrates uh, the power of poor leadership and the effects it has on the the team's well-being uh, and the cohesiveness of the team and also the individual's mental health as well. Uh, as you mentioned, several individuals were experiencing a lot of anxiety around that. And I think that just really speaks to that impact and that influence that a leader can have, um, be it good or bad. I want to go back just for a moment to your example that you shared with us about the exceptional leadership um, with the implementation of the electronic health record. And certainly I've talked to a number of different people who have had 
very different experiences with that process um, from very challenging experiences to experiences that have gone really well. And so to your point about emotional intelligence, I'm wondering what aspects of emotional intelligence were exhibited by the leaders who led the implementation of the electronic health record system? Sure. So I can say from my perspective, so I was one of the people on the physician group and um, I can speak from a broader organizational level and then I can speak to myself as well, if you'd like. But um, from an organizational level, I think that the idea of having the awareness that people were in midst of change and that encouraging people to have a mindset that was positive and optimistic, that was going to be something that was going to be a theme that would drive success ultimately. Because as, as we know, change is very stressful in itself. There's the factor of the unknown. There's the uncertainty that comes with it as well. And so having a positive outlook was certainly something that was driven at the organizational level and something that I had driven with my team as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, the whole idea of having a bit of autonomy as well. What I really appreciated is that there, the organizational uh, leadership trusted me to take my um, vision of how I see this, saw the change happening, uh, allowing me to basically move it forward as I saw it. And okay. there, so that level of trust uh, and affording me that independence was something that I really appreciated. Uh, in my own engagement with colleagues within the department, uh, it was very much centered on maintaining communication. Uh, interpersonal relationships uh, had already been built, just given the fact that I'd been in the department and in the organization for a while. But really fostering two-way communication, um, driving it in a way that was very clear, where people knew what the ultimate objective was and what we were trying to accomplish what the steps would be along the way. Um, all of those things in terms of communication, uh, engaging others, having that optimism, um, having a mindset of flexibility as well, realizing that things may ebb and flow and things may change along the path. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things were, I think, very important, along with the fact that the approach was very realistic in the sense of knowing and letting people know that there were going to be bumps along the road, but that there would be support to help everyone get through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I hear in that is the pieces around inspiring that shared vision and getting people to engage with that vision, while also keeping it, it realistic, as you mentioned, and, and helping people to be aware that uh, this may not be a straight line. This is a curved path and you the path may deviate. And as you mentioned, bumps may occur along the way. Um, so I can tell that health leadership education is something that's really important to you. And I think it just is evident from the work that you do with docs and leadership, in addition to your clinical work. So what makes this so important for you? For me, I think that ultimately everything we do as leaders in healthcare leads to better patient care and outcomes. Mm -hmm. So if we're effective leaders within our practices, it 
creates an environment where the patient experience is positive, right from when they enter and deal with your staff as they're checking in through to working with your assistants and then yourself in the interaction and the quality of care that they get. Within the organization, if you have effective leaders, you're able to take that to another level and contribute to systems and initiatives that can be cost-effective or um, deal with areas that need to be enhanced or improved or, or progressed in a way that can impact on a larger scale. And then if you take that to the system level, uh, it drives that piece, but also to uh, a level of policy generation where ultimately you can contribute to changes that then funnel down in through the path uh, back to patients. So I'm really, I'm really passionate about it from that perspective, from a patient care and outcomes perspective, and also from the perspective of the experience that we all have as people, part of a mm -hmm. system. I really believe that every team member is valuable. Every team member needs to be uh, respected and acknowledged for their contributions. And sometimes we're so busy in doing the work that we do that that piece sometimes gets forgotten. And, and I think that in order to maintain a culture and environment where we're looking and continuing to provide care to people at, it, at the highest level that we can, a lot of those pieces actually are integral to that. We need everybody to be able to do that. So, you know, as physicians, given the fact that we are experts, we do make decisions that, you know, people follow by the way of following our care plans and whatnot. Um, and the fact that, you know, the profession itself is respected um, in the care that we do and what we contribute, all of those things make physicians leaders in many capacities. And so that's where I feel that it's essential that we have formal leadership development so that we can contribute, you know, in those various aspects that really pull a system together. Mm -hmm. There's so many elements that make this important. And I'm really interested in what you were saying about respecting the team and uh, recognizing the input and the value that each team member brings. And I'm wondering if there is a story or an example you can share uh, as to when you really became aware of that. That's something that has always been with me, to be honest with you. I, mm -hmm. I, even when I was a resident, when I was a medical student, I always really felt that I wanted to engage with the team, whether it was the front desk clerk or a nurse or a technician. That's generally been my personality. I've always, I've been raised basically to, you know, you value everybody, yeah. um, whether you're the prime minister of a country or you're, you know, a physician or you're working at a front desk or whatever it's everybody is a person and everybody deserves respect so I was raised with those values by my mom and dad so yeah. um, that's something that's very much been a part of who I am I can say that um, people who I've worked with have sometimes commented that it's amazing how you know the people who work with you in your clinic so your administrative staff and your technician technical staff somehow you they work for you but and yet there's this friendship there and how do you manage that and how do you navigate that 
that's actually been pointed out to me by a number of people. Okay. Whereas to me, I thought that was kind of normal. So, <laughs> um, but uh, so I think just along the way, I mean, you realize if you, if you are kind to people, they're more engaged and they're more willing to go the extra mile. And because I'm like that, you just inspire each other. So I think I, I suppose to answer the question, when did I really realize the value in that? I would have to, I could say, I suppose in residency where, you know, if I needed something, the people at the front desk were more than willing to try to accommodate, even though it put them out a little bit. Uh, but I, I guess I never really quite thought of it concretely because that's just always how I've done things for the most part, from my perspective anyway, yeah. It sounds like it's just been innate in you, as you mentioned, you were raised that way. Mm -hmm. um, what occurs to me is I think back to my own experience uh, years ago when I was working uh, in acute care as a frontline nurse. And one of the individuals that I found so underappreciated on our unit was our one of our housekeepers. Mm -hmm. And she was probably the hardest worker I have ever seen. And moreover than that, she always had a smile, a friendly word, uh, a message of encouragement for both the staff and the patients. And I remember becoming really aware of the impact she had on the unit and how critical she was to our unit not only functioning and, and you know, in terms of her job role, but moreover, just our sense of team and our sense of happiness in our role. And it was remarkable how many patients would comment on how she made them feel when she came in to mop the floor in their room. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I, I think about her often because I think I wonder if she knew how much of an impact she had on staff and patients alike. Mm hmm. So what do you see as the greatest learning need for medical students and residents? I would say that emotional intelligence is key. And the reason I say that is uh, I had recently earned my certification as a, an EQI2, emotional intelligence uh, practitioner, just out of my interests relating to docs and leadership and you know, in developing my own programs and whatnot. And I didn't realize until I took that course how central to everything emotional intelligence really is. Mm -hmm. And that, the reason I feel that way is if, you're, if you have a sense of where you are in terms of your competencies within a framework, that's how you can really identify what needs to be developed mm -hmm. and what is working well. And just the interplay between everything, it becomes a process that you, you begin thinking that way once you understand that framework and learn to apply it. And it's really been uh, an interesting journey for me having, I hadn't had the assessments years ago, but now that I've actually done this and have an, an intimate knowledge of the, of the framework itself, it's really quite fascinating how day to day, if I come across a challenge, automatically my mind turns to those competencies and I do my own, you know, in the spot assessment of, okay, this is what I'm doing. What do I need to shift? How do I need to, you know, alter that outlook or 
where, you know, my being flexible enough, it, it just comes into play in so many ways that I think if medical students and residents learn to become self-aware in the various elements of emotional intelligence, that will drive everything from how they interact to patients, to how they lead, to how they innovate. I think there's so many avenues that that whole concept applies. That's, I think that that's really uh, an essential piece to, to this entire way of thinking, actually. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really appreciate about emotional intelligence and the framework itself is that all of those concepts can be developed. And I think that's something that's really encouraging for people to realize that wherever maybe they recognize they have gaps or areas for uh, areas of opportunity for growth, that they can actually work on those areas. And as you said, with that self-awareness, they can make those shifts on a day to day basis and use those those shifts as support for decision making and communication and all of the elements that go into getting the work done. Mm -hmm. And to add to that, the nice thing about it is while it's an an individual exercise, uh, it's really an outward expression. So it's not all about, it's not just about the person. It really is about the world around you. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I, I like that. I love that interplay. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering, do you see the learning need for experienced physicians to be the same or perhaps different for for the newer um, the newer physicians or the medical students? I think they're slightly different. I think the element of emotional intelligence, that's a universal thing. But I think the approach to it is different in the sense that when you're dealing with medical students and residents, they're still forming. And so you've got an opportunity to really go in there and develop a mindset that they take with them from the day that they start their private practice onward. And even, you know, they're, they're in that learning environment so that you can work with them and help them develop the skills to, to perform their own emotional intelligence assessment in a moment where they're struggling. Mm-hmm. In terms of a physician in practice, that same thing is there, but we do know that um, as we get older, we get set in our ways and, and it's yeah. harder to shift patterns. And so in that aspect or in that uh, group, it's more about this is stuff that's out there, something for you to consider. These are how you can use these tools. Here is an assessment. Here is your assessment. Let's work through it. And then hopefully, you know, they would be willing to integrate it. But that's something that old habits are hard to change, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the, in the people who are up and coming through the system at this point, if it can be implemented and integrated in ways that becomes part of their day-to-day in the learning environment when they're already malleable and they're already shifting and focusing and um, flexible, sorry, in different ways, of, of learning, that is, I think, a really key time to to get in there if you can. So, right, and I, yeah. And actually, I'm I'm working on developing. I have developed some curriculum that we will be delivering here uh, at McMaster through postgrad. So, oh, nice, nice. So, what I hear in that is leveraging them when they're young, when they're um, 
shall we say, enthusiastic about learning because they're already in that growth mindset mm-hmm. and using that as an opportunity to to get this information presented to them and hopefully integrated into their practice from that point. On the note about perhaps more experienced physicians being a bit more set in their ways, as we all are as we get older, uh, what resistance have you found to this type of learning? I feel that the resistance is not necessarily uh, a lack of wanting or willingness to engage. I think it's a function of time. Because when you are in practice, it is overwhelmingly busy between clinics and surgery and administrative work and and then you want to balance family as well that you get so caught up in that race of keeping up and wanting to deliver great care and not fall so behind that you've got stacks of paperwork and mail for months (laughs) that whole process i think the um the stopping for a moment and taking time to reflect and say, you know what, I want to spend some time on my own development. I don't know that that really is something that's automatic to us beyond attending a medical conference, which is again, about being a medical expert. And that's where, you know, the goal is, and uh, I've been in discussion with a couple of organizations as well. How can we bring elements of this into some of our subspecialty conferences and meetings so that, at least it's available in there. And then because people are already attending a, a medical conference, there's an opportunity to say, oh, you know what, let me try something new. I'm here anyway. Let's just take a peek and see what it's about. So I think it becomes about making it accessible through ways that go beyond just offering it as a course or something that is um, an entity that they have to take away from something to be able to attend. If you can integrate it into something they're already doing, I think that. Uh, that becomes a good avenue unless it's associated with an organization and you're in a leadership role and your organization then says, okay, X, you know, Y, Z physician leaders, we want to send you to this development course and we're supporting you with it. That's a different scenario, but for the general physician who's, uh, or who's out in practice, so community-based, for example, uh, who's not mm-hmm. tied into the organizational structures of things, I think that integrating it into something that's already happening is key. Yeah, that accessibility piece, I think, is really important because it is hard to make our own personal growth a priority, particularly when we are busy. And as you mentioned, trying to balance our workload along with family life. So one of the things you and I talked about in the past is that you have started work on a book. Uh, you care to share a little bit about what it's what it's about and uh, how that's going for you? Sure. Um, yes, I have started uh, a book. I'm actually almost finished. The uh, focus is on stress in medicine, actually, and it's uh, it's part memoir, part self improvement, where I take a lot of my personal experiences through medical school, residency, and practice, and explore the concepts of stress and how it impacts how you think, how you practice, and also presents a framework of how to approach it so that you can navigate the stress and transform it into something that is positive and framed in that growth mindset. So it's it's been okay. it's been exciting. My 
COVID quarantine uh, time away from elective work has been um, all about this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, well, I'm sure when you don't have the uh, elements of your other work, it's uh, opened up the door for some additional time to, to work on your book. So congratulations on that progress. Thank you. So we know stress is a significant experience for health healthcare professionals and, and physicians. So what do we need to shift to better address this? I think there are a few things. Firstly, we need to shift the culture within medicine somewhat. There is a tendency not to share the challenges that we face yeah. uh, personally or professionally. And, you know, and that's in part just by the fact that we're in medicine, we deliver care. We want to make sure that our patients have that sense of confidence in the work that we're uh, doing and the work and the care that we're providing. And a lot of it too is also, you know, we're reared in a competitive environment where in order to get into a health professional program, medical school and uh, the others, it's competitive. And so, the tendency is to keep quiet about things that you're struggling with because you don't want to come across as weak or incapable in those stages of training. And then when you're out in the profession, you're surrounded by high achievers and people you really respect and you value their opinion. And there's always that concern of, you know, if I share this experience, is someone going to think less of me? And I think the reality and truth of it is that we all go through things, go through these things, but we just don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of it is that the culture needs to shift so that we start to feel safe enough with uh, amongst us as colleagues and loved ones and trusted friends and our circles to be able to share those experiences. I think there's a few benefits to that. One is stress management. Of course, when you share something, you're able to express the idea and get other perspectives and, develop a different outlook or, or mindset about something. But also, I think there's value in everyone understanding what our experiences are. You know, as a nurse, I know as, you know, what it's like. We know what it's like on the front line. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think when others can understand what we go through, there's a different perspective on things when we start talking about bigger discussions on how should resources be distributed? What supports can we offer? But unless we're willing to be open and express that, I, it's, it's, I think it does a disservice to everybody, really. Yeah. So I'm curious to know then, uh, given that there is often this concern about sharing our own experiences with stress, what were your biggest worries when you started to write your book? Um, and I asked the question, recognizing that it is part memoir. I actually was concerned initially about some of my own truths being shared so openly and yeah. I won't give it away, but there are some pretty significant ones. <laughs> there. Um, but I thought, you know what, in the end result has been that I've made it through and I've been able to contribute how I've been able to contribute. I feel proud of that. And I think that it's important to share the journey because it needs to be I think if you start maybe people will think it's okay yeah and you know it might turn around and you know bite me in the butt I don't know 
<laughs> but it's a risk I was willing to take. And the other thing for me that was very important is that um, I really remember what it was like to be a medical student and a resident. Uh, and I remember the challenges that I went through as a medical student and with COVID happening and, you know, the level of stress that the medical students and residents have been under, it just brought me right back to my time. And I thought I had challenges. This is something much broader and even more significant on top of the normal challenges that you face. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was very much about, you know, I'm just going to lay it out there. And if I can help one person, that means the world to me. And so for me, that was really the motivation and the driver to overcome that thought of what are people going to think when they read this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, yeah. and I, I think that shows a really uh, significant level of bravery to be willing to do that, to be that person who takes that first step and in putting it out there so that it opens the door for others to to put out their concerns and their worries and their even trauma out there as well, all the stress, all the things that impact stress. So you mentioned COVID, and I think that's a really important point, particularly with for younger physicians or medical students, uh, considering the level of stress that they are under with COVID. So I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on how stress impacts people's leadership abilities. Um, and and subsequently, how does that impact the care that we're able to provide? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, a lot of it, again, comes to how aware you are of your reactions in moments of stress. So, for example, in leadership, crisis leadership is a different form of leadership, but the principles are similar in terms of maintaining communication, having a direct plan, leaving room for change and flexibility for things that are not foreseen. It's basically leadership that is a heightened level, that has a heightened level of expectation just Mm -hmm. because of all the pressure and drivers behind that. In terms of stress and leadership in that regard, if you are able to maintain a sense of self-awareness in terms of when you're becoming less flexible because you're comfortable with what's known and your direct path yeah. or when you're becoming too uh, tight in making a decision because you're so worried about making a move. Those things, if you're aware of them, you can then strategize uh, with that, recognizing that, okay, this is why I need to be flexible or this is why I need to be willing to let go of you know, being, needing that structure. Um, so I think that self-awareness really does have an impact and stresses in these times of uncertainty where you really don't know what direction things are going to land in, uh, communication becomes really, really important. So, you know, what is your level of interpersonal relationship? What is your ability to express yourself openly uh, in moments that are extraordinary as opposed to the usual day-to-day? Mm-hmm. So I think all of those things really do come into play with that. So what would you uh, maybe suggest to people, um, maybe strategies or ideas that physicians and other healthcare professionals can maybe implement on a regular basis? 
And maybe I'm going to ask that question around uh, some ideas when we are dealing with such challenging times and also during our so-called normal work. So during challenging times, I think that communication is extremely important. And so right now in the COVID environment, we're removed from our teams. And so as we know, meetings are happening, happening virtually. And in those instances where you're, say, in a private practice and there's no need for a meeting, you're not really engaging with your team. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I think it's critically important to maintain engagement so that uh, you know, people still feel connected. They still feel that they are part of that greater purpose and not just left dangling like a string in the wind, sort of what's happening. I don't know my string, my, you know, my connection has broken and where am I? Mm-hmm. I think maintaining connection is extremely important. I think as leaders also checking in, reaching out, being proactive about that, again, fosters that sense of engagement and connection with your team and being open to their ideas as well as to how things can be done in a way that meets, you know, the directives in relation to COVID but also accomplishes a sense of productivity within the practice or within the team on a project, um, despite the challenges that are added to the context because of of COVID. So in unique situations, I think communication, clarity, and engagement uh, are really important. In normal circumstances, all of those things also apply. Uh, As I mentioned before, I think a lot of the principles and rules of engagement, so to speak, for good leadership become magnified in times that are extraordinary. Right. Um, but so in the day-to-day, same thing, you know, have a conversation with your staff. Do you know when their birthday is? Like small things like that, that are just personal day-to-day connections that bring people together. And then when you're working towards that common vision, it just, everyone tends to want to put in that extra 10% or whatever they can to try to make things work. Right. So I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, sometimes we underestimate the power of those personal connections and they are very significant and help people to feel valued. You know, there is that saying that everyone wants to be seen, heard, understood, and valued. And I think that's where that that comes into play is for people to know that whoever it is that they're working with or even working for that that person does see uh see them hear them understand them and also value them so mm-hmm. nina before i ask my final question i'm curious do you have a name for your book i do actually yeah care to share it Sure. <laughs> uh, so the, the main title is Stress in Medicine. And uh, subtitle is Lessons Learned Through My Years as a Surgeon from Med School to Residency and Beyond. Love it. Love it. Well, I look forward to reading it when it's available. Thank you. So in closing, uh, what's maybe a few words of final wisdom you want to offer? Well, first of all, I'd I'd like to thank you for the opportunity. Um, I think leadership engagement uh, in healthcare is so important. And I'm really uh, hopeful that physician leadership development will become something that is a core element of curriculum within medical education so that we not only empower our our up-and-coming physicians and healthcare 
leaders to have the knowledge to engage, but also inspire them to want to be involved. I really do believe that the future of healthcare is uh, a collaborative effort to make it really succeed. And I feel that having the input from the front line, uh, from physician leaders, nurse leaders, all health professionals engaging together with policymakers is going to be really, really important. Um, to make it work for the long term. Mm -hmm. I would agree. And I think it's so needed. So thank you, Nina, so much for being here and for sharing your experience and your ideas and can't wait until that, that your book is out. Thank you very much, Lee. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.